If you're enjoying the show so far, please consider helping by supporting our show. Although never expected, any support for our show enables us to keep bringing the audiobook club to your ears. Hello and welcome to the Audiobook Club. In this week's episode, we're so lucky to be joined by the award-winning audiobook narrator and voice actor Sean Crisden. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. How are you today? I am quite well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's my distinct pleasure to be here. (laughs) It's very nice to have you here. (laughs) (laughs) So I'd love to start um, at the very beginning, as we do with all these shows, would you be able to tell us a little bit about your background and how you came into the world of audiobook narration and uh, voice actor? Yeah, um, picture it. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, United States, 1970-something. Two people fall in love, have very intimate relations, and uh, is that too soon? Is that too far back? <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure. Um <laughs> I, uh, I, my, my, my route to uh, becoming an audiobook narrator is one that I, I typically tell folks and they often look at me in disbelief. I have to preface it with the idea that I am fantastically lazy. Okay. <laughs> so when you, when you understand how lazy I am and that I seek to expend as little energy as possible. <laughs> so there, there's a bit of skill, I suppose, involved in in accomplishing that. But um, I was working in corporate middle management, which uh, definitely depletes the soul, and I <laughs> uh, was also performing in a band. And I had uh, <laughs> I was chasing my creative dreams that way musically. Yeah. Uh, which I, I still have been known to uh, bang out a, a wee ditty and yell with my guitar accompanying me. Uh, but I was sort of at a crossroads when the band dissolved, and I didn't know what to do at this point. It was it was a large part of my identity. And um, I, I had a bit of a, an identity crisis at 30-ish. It was early, my early 30s. It may have very well been late 20s. Um, who knows? I'm not sure how old I am, and I, I, I can never <laughs> pin it down, and I'll never admit to anything. Um, and I also was sort of moonlighting as a, an on-camera actor, just to also take out some of my additional needs to create in some way, to do something yeah. that, that spoke to my creativity. And uh, I was on set for a film that shall not be named because it was a terrible film. And... <laughs> Uh, those that know me know what the film was, and oh, we don't talk about it. There is no <laughs> film in Ba Sing Se. That's the only uh, <laughs> hint I can give for people that know what it is. They know what it is. And uh, many of the talent there, the the um, actors and actresses are saying, oh, well, I, my agent also gives me wonderful voiceover work, so it's, I just get so much work. And I thought, this sounds fantastic. Yeah. So tell me more about this. And they said, well, you know, I, I, you get a script and you, you read it and then you go home. And I said, wow, wow, okay, this is appealing to my greater interests. And uh, especially since with a lot of the on-camera work, uh, there's a lot of uh, early call times and memorization and blocking and hair and makeup. it 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 can be uh daunting for a person who is as lazy as myself so so i started to explore the idea of that and it spoke to 
I suppose some of my um, earlier dabblings with just using my voice, I was a singer, of course, mm -hmm. and also speech and the idea of language, which always appealed to me. So it all mixed together rather nicely, and I said, oh, I'll try it. And that was, oh, November 2009 that I said, oh, okay, let me give it a try. And I just poured all of my time and energy and resources into as much research and learning and talking to people who were, who were doing this and, and trying to find a coach and mm. understanding what the path before me would be. And um, I actually got my first job, a paying job. Someone was willing to pay me to do this. Um, officially, once I decided, I had done one voiceover gig several years prior, um, but it didn't click with me you know every, yeah. not everything had coalesced in my mind of, of hey I can do this and it's it's okay I, I can <laughs> it'll it appeals to my greater sensibilities um, and the first job was actually an audiobook gig so I, I knew nothing of audiobook narration I knew nothing of, I knew how to read a story I had oftentimes read out loud in grade school to my classmates so yeah. <laughs> uh, not completely far into it but in a professional capacity um, that was new territory so it was certainly a question of hey can you do this oh of course i can oh yes 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 sure 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 uh -huh. <laughs> having no idea and relying on my uh, capacity to hopefully figure it out before yeah. it was due and at that my very first audiobook job uh, interestingly enough in 2009 was remote oh. uh, so i didn't have to go into a studio I had I already had uh, recording equipment and engineering experience from being a musician, mm. and had spent some time in a few studios, and uh, am actually an audio engineer now. But uh, at that time, it was okay. How do we take these disparate items and make them work here in in yeah. the audiobook world and and make that work? So it was a learning experience. And my early books, I listened to for fine amusement. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, most talent, I'm sure, are like that, right? You, you listen yeah. to some of your earlier work and anything that you've done, any skill you've learned or, or spent time honing, and uh, say, oh, I certainly could have done that differently, <laughs> to say the least. But uh, that, was, that was my origin. And somehow people enjoyed my work, which I suppose is advantageous and... <laughs> in continuing and making a career out of it so it it took off from there and uh, i've been going i actually went full time in i believe that was june 2010 so it was a matter of about seven or eight months of really diving in i i have a the tendency to really dive in mm. um quite strongly when I when I cling tenaciously to my ideas and, and dive in and want to when yeah. I try to pursue something so um, I was able to sort of fast track it I guess in a sense to go full time and uh, have been going strong ever since fortunately I've been quite fortunate in that regard that's really that's really interesting I think because that's not a long time at all is it from you know just starting out to or oh, not just starting because obviously you had prior experience and transferable skills from those activities but like you know to go in full time into this narration what was it about audiobooks as a medium 
that kind of sort of hit you and thought, do you know what I'm going to be? This is what I'm going to be focusing the next year of my career on. It was a, a mix of the more noble path of, oh, I can don the mantle of storyteller and share <laughs> in this experience that our 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 species has has adopted since the dawn of time around a, a, a dying fire to stave off saber tooth attacks or, <laughs> or what have you. So uh, that, you know, as we have passed our knowledge and our experiences and our myth through stories. Mm. So even before the written word. And that's, I think that's a part that is innate within us as creatures mm. of, of being able to tell these stories and, um, you know, coming through a more modern lens, uh, looking at it as a form of entertainment and or education, as well as, oh, I can sit here comfortably and speak into a microphone and go on these fantastic voyages and journeys or, or relay this information from the past or possibly pertaining to the, to the future. <laughs> so all of those things spoke to me, uh, pun intended, to uh, really pursue it that way. And when we look at the lazy Sean Kristen, let's pull that model back into view. It was relatively speaking, simple, not to, not to discredit or discount the amount of work and training and discipline that needs to go into being a proficient narrator, but, uh, relatively to say, going down to the docks, tossing bananas onto a large boat. Uh, it was a, a simple job, so to speak. Yeah. I, I get that. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, that just took me by surprise. <laughs> that tickled me. Well, hopefully, you wouldn't be looking should a, a large crate of bananas be coming your way. Yeah. Uh, I think that may be the first time I've put a banana and a shipping all together in my brain. Oh. Um. <laughs> So, uh, you've had um, you've had some you've had great success in narrating a lot of content within the the romance genre. Um, what is it about romance as a genre that that draws you in as a performer and keeps you coming back and wanting to you know really operate in this space? It's it's twofold really. Uh, first and foremost, uh, in terms of really most types of genre fiction, mm. uh, rom you know we we identify particular beats and elements within them that create that particular genre that a reader or a listener in this case would expect uh, to be fulfilled it's sort of the the agreement that they have with the the content creator the author mm. the narrator by proxy so part of it is who doesn't like a, a happy ending who doesn't like understanding that through all of the trial and tribulation that the our antagonist will, or protagonist, sometimes the antagonist, <laughs> uh, I'm getting ahead of myself, um, will succeed. And that people can come together through adverse circumstance and find love. So that there is part of that that absolutely appeals to me. It, it appeals to the that mushy, sappy side of, yeah. oh, you know, you, you can be dreamy eyed and oh, that's wonderful. And, and on the, the opposite side of that coin, are, it's the, it is that predictability and that dependability in most cases. I mean, very rarely in the genre are we truly surprised or, or taken unawares by something that occurs. Um, 
that creates a, a comfort zone, much like in most other most other genres of of literary work and in most media, of course, we we come mm. to expect certain things, and that's also presented itself as a challenge for me as uh, now. 12, 13 years plus into it, it has become so predictable that it has diminished my enjoyment of it. And I'm, I've actually stepped back a bit from romance. It's a, this is between you and I. We, we shouldn't tell anyone. Uh, I've, I've recently stepped back a bit to take a breather yeah. from the romance genre, uh, mm. largely because I, I felt it was no longer providing the entertainment to me that because it was so predictable. So it was a double edged yes. sword, sword of understanding that. So now I'm I'm dabbling out into other genres, including uh, horror and suspense, which are some of my other personal favorites in other media as well. Mm. Um, and a lot of nonfiction uh, has been rolling through my booth. So uh, I'm just sort of recharging my mental batteries from romance. And not to discredit it whatsoever, but there are times where I, I do need to be mentally challenged and surprised, much like a flying crate of bananas, to uh, find something that excites me and catches me uh, in a way that is unexpected. Yeah. There are some authors within the romance genre that certainly uh, flirt with, <laughs> pun intended, that idea of breaking the mold and mm -hmm. changing the beats and, and creating these new exciting experiences that are completely unexpected to a reader and or listener. Uh, which I appreciate, but that's largely because here I am 500 plus books in mm -hmm. with easily 60 to 70% of those being romance and um, just needing a break and or wanting to mix it up a bit. Yeah. So it's it, it presents that challenge for me currently, which I know, of course, I'll return to it. Uh, I'm still taking romance uh, titles. I just haven't taken as many as I have in the past. So it's, I'm not going away. I'm just taking a break. <laughs> I think you are very more entitled, very well entitled to that break. Um, that's a really, yeah, that's that's really fair. Um, I totally get where you're coming from. Um, when it comes to, when it comes to accents, perhaps ones that are, are new to you. I know that you've done. Is it true that you, you've done a, a book in a Geordie accent? Oh is yes, right? yeah. yeah. One of <laughs> one of. One of the most difficult, and I don't feel that I credited the Geordie accent well enough in that book. Um, but it was, it was, it's very difficult accent. Yeah, it uh, is. Yeah, as anyone who is who does not live in the region can understand. Yeah. Um, and I had to basically narrate from that. I, I'm not. I can't recall if that was first person POV or not. But the entire book. Was, was in a Geordie accent and ex extremely challenging, especially for uh, an American stateside. And uh, it's a book that it haunts my my thoughts on occasion and, and not necessarily in a negative way. I do think my performance could have been significantly better. It was relatively early in my career and uh, yada, yada, excuse, excuse. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I think I, I did well enough to convey the color and tone of it um, without being <laughs> too too pedantic in, in what I believe I should have done yeah. uh, for it. And I, certainly I would approach it differently today than I did at, the, at that point in time, that book. Um, but 
it was generally well received which you know ultimately it it depends on what the the listeners and the author feel and i i want to feel that i have honored uh (laughs) my ability to narrate and convey the story and the intention of the author to the listeners so uh, i feel that that was fair yeah (laughs) but boy oh boy yeah and i you know it's just it's it's always one and i you know i i said oh he's talking about accents i i wonder if he's going to bring up life of joe (laughs) so that was it's always there in my brain i always i just um yeah my sort of ears quite um picked up when i when i heard that um and it was because uh, i live about an hour and a half away from the geordie accent um, and i can't do it i've tried um you know i've been narrating audiobooks myself for the past uh sort of five years and it occasionally pops up and i think can't do it can't do that one (laughs) so i was uh I was uh, very envious. Um, ahead of that, ahead, of, you say that you've changed um, your process. Um, ahead of the narration process, can you take us through the sort of steps on how you get accents down? Now, has there been, um, has there ever been a project where you've maybe put off taking them because because of an accent in there? Absolutely, absolutely. It's I have an advantage that I, I have a fairly large toolbox of accents and dialects. I do mm. a lot of video game work and animation work where that comes into play much more readily than mm. uh, even in my audiobook narration. And in light of the current um, culture war, the, the woke culture, as, as it's been called here, uh, of uh, attempting to have characters in stories and in media that represent a, a more vast diaspora of the world at large, which is wonderful. Mm. Representation is very important. And also on the creative end of casting those things in various media of wanting to have people who represent those ethnicities or cultures. Yeah. So it, it, it sort of put me in a strange predicament of having a lot of accents and dialects and representing various cultures and then choosing which projects to take when they say, okay, we need uh, someone who ideally has, uh, this is a Nibib- Namibian uh, person who has moved to Germany. You know, so you say, okay, that's interesting. <laughs> How can we? And we want someone who is has either, you know, lived in Namibia or, or is German or has ties to, you know, and you say, okay. Yeah. Well, how do we put this together? So I, I have definitely turned down projects, um, and even for me, you know, by I'm I am mixed race, but uh, for all intent and purpose, uh, people look at me and they say, "Oh, he has pigment. He must be black." You know, it's America. Woo, guns, pew pew pew. So it's it can be challenging for, for even for me because you know I've played multiple ethnicities and people from various cultures and. Um, it's always a question of okay so how do i fall into the idea of the the overreaching goal of let's have greater representation in media uh so that everything isn't just simply whitewashed um literally and figuratively but then does that put a responsibility on me to then not play a 19 year old white southern londoner or to not play uh, a, a, I don't know, a, <laughs> I guess I wouldn't play an old Jewish grandmother. I don't know, <laughs> think weird things have happened. Uh, but, uh, 
so so do I accept that role or do I let that role go to uh, a person who more honestly in the real world represents that culture and or ethnicity? So it, it becomes challenging. But the, mm. the idea of the from a technical aspect of, hey, here's a crazy, let's just a crazy accent. A person is this crazy. Can you do it? And you and I have to assess my ability and my skill and my willingness to also put in additional work. Um, as an aside, I, I think that accents and dialects, as I am a musician as well, it's all it all relates to music for me because it's all pitch and tempo and rhythm and cadence and placement and then intent uh, behind it. That's that's where I approach different accents and different dialects um, with those very technical aspects in mind but then it's simply okay let's listen to it mm. and what is the literal musicality of an accent or a dialect how does it sound where do the pitches go where's the placement in the mouth what what's the the overall feeling that it imparts to uh, when you when you listen to it and that stuff is actually very fun for me um i guess it does speak to that musician in me and then translating yeah. that to the mouth is an instrument but for sure. To answer your question, after all of that <laughs> circuitous lip service, uh, I I have absolutely um, turned down roles that yeah. I thought, oh, that's one that I, I don't have in the toolbox. And in my current schedule, it would take too much time to get it under my tongue to be able to put forth what I would feel would be a satisfying performance or to honor it correctly. And, you know, taking a, a nod again to the current climate of let's have people who are those ethnicities and are from those cultures play these roles. I've, I have yeah. turned down a, a great many more roles because I, I often encounter that, hey, he, he's a minority. This is a minority. They can do the thing, right? So it can be challenging. And, and, and I don't know if that's the same the world over. I mean, of course, America is a very racial, <laughs> racially divided and racially conscious country uh, based on the, the way the entire country is structured. And of course that permeates our media. Yeah. So uh, I'm not sure. So do you find that that is the same for you there? Um, I'm not sure. I mean, personally, I get typecast as, you know, teen twinks. Um, but the, yeah, that's, <laughs> <laughs> I don't, yeah, I think, I think it's very similar. It's interesting. I think it just depends on, who's casting it i think there is there are amazing companies uh, companies who are very serious about about fair representation um definitely over here um i think i think the big ones do care about that sort of thing and are, it is moving in the right direction yeah i would say i would say yes but maybe not as fast as it is over there it's not you know maybe not as quick um to adapt to the to the climate that's what i would say um, and I'm, I'm I'm only speaking of the sort of mid smaller presses. The the larger ones have sort of got it down, but that's because they're international anyway. With building a building a character with the accent with the the character as a whole, does that process change? Is there a difference between that process for you when say narrating an audiobook and then maybe voice acting for a video game or an animation? Does does it differ in any way? Well, that's a that's a very good question. Not really. Fundamentally, the process is the same. Mm. Um, however, one of the, I'll say just from, from my perspective, one of the joys of animation 
and or video game character work and characterization versus audiobook character work and characterization is that in a video game or animation you typically get to go all in mm-hmm. meaning that um you, it's usually this sort of hyperbole expressed as characterization it's big and it's all encompassing where in an audiobook sometimes you're simply imparting a color or a tone to a character sometimes yes. now sometimes i really like to go all in in audiobooks <laughs> i i do and it depends it depends on the subject matter and the content and the tone of the narrative of course but i i do recall doing a few fantasy books where there are monsters and demons and uh, orcs and things and come on of course i have to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah of course i have to go all in you know we're we're not quite um not that they can't exist, of course, but you don't want to, you know, hi, I'm an orc, and yeah. oh, I'm big and brawly, you know, oh, look at my rippling muscles, and I eat meat right off the bone, you know, so <laughs> we, a lot of times, uh, especially in fantasy books, I think, I get to mm-hmm. really um, kick in the afterburner, so to speak, and really embody these characters full, full-throatedly, if you will, and <laughs> and and make it a... a a full thing where in other books you're simply giving subtle color and subtle nuance to character so as not to completely stomp all over the narrative with mm-hmm. characterization yeah um, it, it's a it's a choice that needs to be made as a narrator of how you want to represent it or if you're working with a director uh, that the director can help guide through as well but yeah that that's for me that's one of the main differences is that for video games and animation it's just it's bigger mm-hmm. it's more encompassing than it is for an audiobook because for an audiobook in very rare circumstances are we going to actually find ourselves shouting at the top of our lungs at the top of our range full projection you know it's yeah. it, it's it's often um simply overkill for an audiobook as a storyteller um there, there are times where it's merited, but nowhere near as much as when you, you know, I'll look at a video game session that's coming in and they'll say, okay, well, it'll be four hours. You'll only be two and a half hours on mic. There are some strenuous vocalizations. You'll, you know, okay, okay, I get the rest. I'll bring my throat coat tea. I'll um, be prepared. So it, I can't say that I've had many audiobook sessions that have physically exhausted me in the matter of 60 to 90 minutes. Yeah. So I think that's the the difference for me uh, uh, there. But the process in creating the character, again, you you talk to a person who talks for a living and then he talks too much. Let me answer your question. (laughs) The the process uh, is is ultimately the same in, in creating those characters and how I approach them. And sometimes, so here, here's the inside track for, for both creative talent and audiobook talent and for, folks who listen sometimes you feel like you have simply exhausted the options (laughs) i have a lot of go-to's that are okay these these characters are here they fit nicely in these vocal ranges with this texture and this cadence and we slap that dialect on top and easy peasy um every so often you get a project where you have to come up with something new you have to basically create it from the ground up and that process 
this sometimes um, can be considered slightly technical. Every then and again, I, I have had people ask me, well, how do you do it? How do you make these new characters? What do you do? And I, I look at it as music. First, I, when you look at a character, uh, and it doesn't matter for me if it's animation, video games, an audiobook, when mm -hmm. I understand understanding who the character is through a macro lens, and then we dig into the nitty-gritty of, okay, uh, is this a male or a female? You know, is there gender? So we're looking at what is the tone and pitch of the voice that should be used to impart this character? Uh, what's the rhythm that they use to speak in? Uh, and what is the tempo? So it's, again, it comes back to musical categorization for me that mm. they use to speak. Okay, where's the placement in the mouth? Uh, is it, do they seem like they speak more to the front of the teeth or is it up in the upper palate? Do they resonate through the face or does it feel like it's in the back or is it something that just drops down low to the chest? And, and what, where does that happen? And then after I have that, then I think, okay, what, what kind of texture is there to there? Is there any? Is it breathy? Is it gritty and gravelly? Is it pure and clean and pristine? And, and where is it? Then I think of, all right, what sort of mouth work is there on top of that? So is there a slight lisp? Do they speak out of one side of the mouth? Is it a lazy jaw? Is it a lazy tongue? Uh, you know, and all of these elements come in. And then I will say, okay, where's the accent or the dialect that yeah. adds to that? So then that colors all of those other things. And then my final, the final thing that I consider is the attitude, the persona of that character. And once you shake all of that up, nice, yeah. nice and neat, um, then you get a character. And if you change one of those elements, uh, it changes the character. So maybe not um, extremely so, but it changes it enough. So in a lot of books where, you know, you'll say, oh boy, there are 89 characters. And there's a scene where 46 of them are all in a room talking to each other. How do you differentiate that for a listener? And a lot of times we get the cues within the narrative. John said, you know, spanky emoted, you know, these, so we, we get that to help sort of uh, fill in the gaps, but you still want to have a listener be able to tell the difference in some yeah. manner. This one speaks faster. This one speaks, their tone is deeper. This one's more resonant. This one is breathier. This one has that weird lift that they speak with, you know, so, <laughs> and then you, all of these things help to, to differentiate. So that's, usually what I consider when I, I, I look at yeah. how, what, who is this character and, and what does it do? And a lot of times I have these sort of um, pre-made, pre-rolled characters, if you will, for D&D &D and, and video game folks uh, that just, I just, they're already there in the, in the toolbox for me. I can just pull them out. And yeah. And, and there's a danger in that too, in that a lot of my characterizations can sound the same if I'm not careful and... Uh, in choosing something that may be unique for a particular book, which is difficult. I mean, mm. you, after you do enough work, things are going to absolutely start to sound the same. I mean, there's, there's no way to avoid that. But it's hopefully the way that you embody those characters and tell the story uh, is entertaining enough for a listener to say, well, yeah, this sounds just like that other book he did last week that I listened to, but this one's still a lot of fun, so we'll, we'll handle it. <laughs> Yeah, so it's, a lot of those things come into play. I think that's really interesting. I think it's also going to help a lot of uh, the folks listening as well. Most of our audience are um, up and coming, uh, budding narrators. That the idea of working up like through a character almost, really visually playing it out through the different 
um, you know, almost like a checklist of the different thing, nuances of that, everything that makes up the character's voice that you can change. I think that's really helpful. Um, in last week's episode of the show, I was talking uh, to a wonderful narrator called uh, and actor uh, Jennifer Aquino, um, who studies and competes in uh, various martial arts, and and we were speaking about how that can help with uh, the temperament uh, needed to narrate audiobooks. Um, I read that you're also no stranger to martial arts. Um, would you agree that there's certainly areas such as the focus and the mindset needed for those activities? Um, do do you agree that that aids you when you know you're in the booth? One hundred percent, absolutely. As a a lifelong martial artist, as permanent student, and sometimes teacher, uh, the idea of in most of your life of being able to achieve a level of discipline first mm. and foremost to accomplish a goal or a task sometimes that may be quite daunting or seemingly impossible at times, and to to commit to doing that, as well as the idea of focusing an intent and an energy toward that goal, not just haphazardly, but again, in a disciplined manner, Mm -hmm. uh, absolutely helps. Because Mm -hmm. as most narrators know, and most budding narrators can imagine, narration, audiobook narration, long-form narration, is the this is the marathon of the voiceover world mm-hmm. so you know i i do a lot of commercials i do a lot of games and and animation and e-learning all sorts of things and there is nothing <laughs> that i have to basically mentally and physically prepare for more than an audiobook session which to some people seems strange because they're, wait a minute didn't you just say that you never were exhausted by doing audiobooks didn't you say that buddy um yes that that is correct but knowing that i'm going to be in the booth for two hours before i take a break typically sometimes less if i'm feeling extra lazy um but, it, you know, I at least do two hours of, of narration where I can go in and, and cut two 30-second commercials in 15 minutes and be done mm-hmm. with that task for the day. So I, I always refer to audiobook narration as a marathon. So you're in it for the long haul. And it's not something that you're going to sprint to the finish line on. So you have to be prepared to condition your body and your mind, uh, martial arts, uh, to stay committed to the to get through the finish line and then to keep moving because it's it's not something where you can go in and say okay I did 20 minutes in the in the studio I am done time to <laughs> go and just hang out outside in the desert with the scorpions and snakes I live in the <sighs> desert incidentally I think you may know that but um, it's so it, those things can be over very quickly but the comfort for me in audiobook narration uh, harkens back to what I said originally was that you're you're donning the mantle of the storyteller, so you can swirl your brandy or your cognac in your in your tumbler, and you can sit in a, a lovely plush recliner by a crackling fireplace with uh, ornate wood adorning the walls and shelves and shelves of ancient, deliciously musty smelling books, and you can then have someone sit in front of you and tell them a tale. You weave them a yarn, right? So so there's something very, very different about that versus, on sale now, come buy this toothpaste. It'll make your teeth white and your breath will smell pretty good. You know, so there, there's, there's something different 
between the, the, the intentions there. Yeah. So narration is definitely difficult. It's the harder of those things um, in terms of just what it demands of you. It just in t even if you're just simply looking at it objectively and saying, oh, it takes a lot longer. It takes more time. But it, you have to stay focused and you have to be consistent and you have to have the stamina to, to last through it, which that ain't no easy thing. <laughs> no, I agree. <laughs> so that, that's, that's, that's what I, I, I typically like to tell folks. But it, it's a wonderful genre mm -hmm. of voice work. Mm -hmm. uh, if you can find, your, find your, your nice little cubby, your little niche or niche uh, mm -hmm. and where it works well for you. Yeah, absolutely. Your um, testimonials speak for themselves, uh, and it seems it seems no secret how much uh, production companies and publishing houses etc. love working with you. Um, I always try to ask: um, Have you any advice for narrators who are perhaps new in the industry on how they can make a great impression or have a higher chance of being asked back to work with uh, these companies? I do. I do. I um, I've coached a lot of folks uh, on. Um, how to get closer to their goals and more things than just narration as well, because a lot of mm. these are universal ideas. But the, the first and foremost that I offer most people, especially as an American is don't be a dick. <laughs> so, uh, and people find that challenging, particularly here in America. Um, but, there seems to be something that gets lost in terms of sharing humanity and empathy and the human experience of we're all living here on this rock floating through the cosmos. Mm. Um, so uh, case in point is even when I would go into studios and uh, for jobs and when I lived in Los Angeles Nate, and you, I was always cordial and pleasant to everyone because that's who I am. Uh, additionally, my martial arts training uh, has helped to remove a concept of serving the ego mm. in the sense that a lot of people feel that they need to impress folks or create this inflated image of self, of worth, of just who they are. Uh, to present to the world and and again to serve the ego so that you feel that you're seen that way and again me being miraculously lazy um i've reached a, the point in my life where i don't care not in a negative apathetic way but in that i'm simply going to be unique and authentically who i am rather than trying to present myself as someone else so mm -hmm. there will be those that that uh, works very well with and those that, that won't such as life but when I tell people, don't be a dick, do not be a prick, don't be a throbbing John Thomas, is that <laughs> you, you, people can treat people poorly in their own quest to inflate their own sense of self. Mm. Uh, so back to, uh, I would go into studios and everyone, you know, it was always nice and I like cracking a joke. I like folks to have a good time. I like this. I think it's criminal that I get paid to do what I do. I'll, I'll, I'll say that because essentially I, I feel like I'm always at play. Mm. Um, but I would, I all, my goal was always to make sure that folks had fun to solve problems and to be easy and absolutely, um, 
a joy to work with and and to share that experience with everyone else lofty goals as i would often see some of especially a lot of the folks i knew who were on camera talent it seems the voiceover world is a little easier but um would be rude to the secretary or whoever the front desk administrator was and just sort of short and curt and sometimes nasty and i never understood why especially when i've seen time and time again a lot of those individuals who were the receptionists in the studios or the casting agencies or wherever they move on to become casting agents or mm -hmm. engineers or prime decision makers who remember they say oh i remember you and we had a great time oh it's wonderful or and obviously they remember the people who were jerks yeah. so uh one of the the main things is focus on your ability to relate to other people your interpersonal skills are very important because a lot of this business uh and it extends to other businesses and life at large as well uh relies on your network and who you know and how they know you so some people will yield to i must pre present myself as a grand grand visage you know and and all of these things that no well you know remain true to who you are but be honest and treat people well the golden rule comes to apply kids at treat the people as you would expect yourself to be treated as you would want to be treated and uh that's just the foundation of it if you can do that and and of course there are sharks out there who will try to prey on on new folks and steer them astray lead don't go in any dark alleys or dark woods with folks you don't know kids they they promise great candy but the candy sucks trust me um it, so it's it, it's just trying to uh do be good and do good it's usually what i tell people when i say goodbye to them ah, be good and do good um do that within your professional life as well so be grateful for the opportunity to do things even even if you blow it <laughs> uh, and the people that you meet share joy with them um more so than angst or negativity there's enough negativity in the world uh so if we can bring that through our professional lives then into our personal lives maybe uh maybe we can be on to something yeah. So that's usually what I tell folks. That's first and foremost. And then you can get into technical aspects of, okay, you have to adopt an entrepreneurial mindset. I, I tell people uh, to use the sports method. So I'm now going to regale you with this, and I'm very sorry, because my wife said, are you telling them about the sports method? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, uh, many years ago, I was asked to speak at a school, and it was a, a, a school in Los Angeles, an inner city school. Um, to talk about how I did what I did. I also came out of the inner city in a rather rough and tumble neighborhood mm. <laughs> that uh, the prospects for what you would do in your future were grim. We'll, say, we'll put it that way. So for me to achieve this level of professional comfort and success, uh, whatever that may be, mm. um, is, is sort of, has sort of defied the odds. So when I spoke to these kids who were in similar circumstances from whence my, I had come myself, I had come from um, just poor inner city, um, I came up with the sports method. I needed a way to both quantify and qualify what I had done so that I could try to say, good luck, guys! <laughs> I have no idea how the... You know, so I, so I could just 
Yeah. Say something that wasn't quite that. Yeah. Uh, so I came up with the Sporth method. So the Sporth method is S. First, to get in the door, you need the skill. You need a very basic, rudimentary level of this skill. You don't have to be absolutely exceptionally mind blowing, an outlier of the, the greatest ability. You don't necessarily have to be that. But you need to be able to perform whatever it is at its most basic, rudimentary level. So. For a narrator, you should be able to speak and understand how to speak into a microphone. Um, that's that's about it. I think that's the bare minimum we would require uh, for that. Um, so skill gets you in the door, S. So then there's P, persistence. So this also goes back um, to our martial arts conversation. If you fall down, you get up. You keep going, you keep coming back, and you instill that within your mindset that I will continue, I will fail repeatedly. I will. You, you simply will, such as is life. And what you do with that failure is very, very important. The failure can either completely roadblock you and be this insurmountable obstacle that you cannot conquer, and you simply walk away or give up, uh, or you can reassess, reapply and readjust so that you can find another way to try to conquer that particular obstacle. It doesn't mean you will, but it's simply you're persistent. You, mm. you, every time you fall down, you get back up. Because if, you've, if you don't get back up after you fall down, then there, my friend, you shall lay. So I, I always basically uh, preach about persistence, my brothers and sisters, so that folks understand that it, it, it is necessary. So then we have O. So O is the, the opportunity. You need opportunity to present the skill that you've persistently been learning. So, but it's also a, a, an additional element of that is you, you cannot simply sit in your mom's basement and wait for opportunity to come to you. Mm. You have to create opportunity in addition to hoping that the universe aligns for you. But you need to go out and be proactive in aligning the universe. You may need a mallet. You may need to tap a few, a few screws here and there. Um, but you need to discover ways to maximize your chance for being able to do whatever it is you, you've set out to do. Um, you, you talk to folks. You tell folks about it. You explore various venues through which you can exercise this skill. You And you do that persistently. And find ways to... Um, basically open your own doors if you people talk oh the doors are locked i couldn't okay well you can't you can't open it you can't open the lock no you can't kick the door down do you need to build your own your own door to go through can you possibly go through the window it, you know so there's yeah. there's other ways to to find these things so op opportunity not not only finding it but creating it then we have r resources so you need the resources to do these things and there are those obvious tangible things such as time and money um so, oh, there's this conference that's, oh, you know, across the country. I need to get to this conference. Do you have the time and, and ability to get there? Are you willing to go to learn to make these connections or to learn this very ancient art of underwater basket weaving, whatever it is that you're trying to do? So uh, you need those resources. And that also includes surrounding yourself with cheerleaders so that's severing your ties to anchors that are weighing you down. All of the, you can't do that. 
no, you won't. Not only your own mental anchors that tell you you cannot, but yeah. also those external ones, other people who say, hey, that sounds like a good idea because sometimes we just need a little bit of positivity, a positive push uh, to help us overcome something or to get over mental hurdles. They're very, mm. they're, they're as real as the, the physical ones. You know, I, I always have the, um, I call it the uh, crushing specter of self-doubt riding on my shoulders. Uh, even at this point in my career, so that I don't know if that ever goes away, but I know where to how to where to put him in a, just a little box, just right there. Um, so you, as that's a finding your ability to have the network you need of people who are peers, people who can be mentors to help propel you forward. All of those things are important. Um, finding your tribe in essence, to, to help keep you focused on your goals and then keep pulling you forward. Because it's, it's, it takes a village, I've heard, for pretty much everything. Um, so that is the R for resources. And T in sporth is time. So uh, very rarely will you find it be lightning in a bottle and happen mm -hmm. instantly overnight. And I admit, even what happened in my career when I went from maybe I'll try this to going full time was certainly an accelerated time frame. Mm. Um, and I also tell folks that, yeah, but for the next two and a half years, I worked every single day. I did not take a vacation. I basically put in probably 20, 10 to 12 hours a day between actually trying to do the work and then building the resources and the network and talking to folks and learning yeah. To, to do the work more efficiently. So there's there's certainly a commitment, a discipline we were talking about uh, that's involved there. But yeah, it takes time. Expect that it will. If it happens sooner, great. What a pleasant surprise. But you have to simply expect that this, this is a, a lengthy process that will take a considerable amount of time. So put the time in. So that gives us the sport part of it and the h is is not just an unfortunate lisp it's sporth is I, I have the h is hunger and hunger is the the principle one principle to rule them all uh in that without the hunger to accomplish it none of the other elements in the sporth method or anything else you're, you're trying are really going to matter if you go to the greatest buffet in the world the food is legendary, prepared by some of the finest chefs the, that humankind has ever seen. It smells amazing. The, the people look satiated and satisfied. But you're not hungry. Or worse yet, you're stuffed. What good is this golden banquet of a buffet to you? So the hunger that you bring to your goals is what's going to help you build the skills, help you mm -hmm. seek out the learning, help you remain persistent in doing so and doing all of these things, help you find opportunities, help you make opportunities, help you understand that, okay, I need these resources. I have to build a network. I have to find more people. I need mentors. I need people who are going through it. I need all of these things. And I understand that you, it'll help you to get up every time uh -huh. you meet rejection or a door closes in your face or the window because you were coming in the window and so that will that hunger is the drive that keeps you going it's the fire in the belly it's what 
propels you to do what you must. Where I, I realized fairly early on in my life that I was a creative talent. If I did not create, and I, I went to school for visual art, hmm. I thought I was going to be an art teacher. Ha <laughs> ha, joke's on me. Um, that if I did not have the opportunity to create, then my soul withered ever so slightly until eventually I would be nothing but an empty husk. I, I had to create. I had to, to dive into some form of creativity. That was a part of me and an intrinsic component of, of who I am. Yeah. That helps to fire to fuel that hunger for it. If that wasn't there, I wouldn't be doing this. I probably would be yelling at you right now to look out for that box of bananas that slipped out of my hands. Was, ah, well, you know, it's down the Just a horse and bananas. Um, but so that that it would I never would have pursued this at all. Mm. So having the hunger and and doing this, the self assessment to make sure that you are indeed hungry for this. <laughs> it's uh, that it's not simply. I'll give it a try and I'll see how it goes. You know, it's, eh, yeah, you, you can still find success that way. But when I basically conceptualize the sport method is, okay, what are the ways that you can maximize your chances for success? You can still achieve without being hungry or without being persistent or having any skill at all. We've, we've seen many people who have very little skill in their uh, respective field that seem to do pretty well. <laughs> Politics is one of them. Um, but, you know, you, you want to maximize your chances. If you're going to do it, uh, go big or go home, as the yeah. saying would say. So uh, that's, usually, that's the whole spiel I, I tell new folks. Of, How can I do this? Well, you can apply this to anything in your life. And if you have these components lined up for yourself, feel good that you, you you're on your the right path to chasing yeah. however you define success in that uh, in that realm not that you'll get it but you you're doing your due diligence so yeah. that's that's uh, that's that's my whole racket there we go you know i uh, i must say i love that i love the sport um i i think that was really profound and i think that's going to help a lot of people listening i hope people have got the notebooks out um yeah i'm uh i'm still sort of digesting it that really sort of hit a nerve with me if i'm honest hit a sort of in in here and um yeah i i, I think that was one of the best answers to that question i could have ever asked for um so thank, thank you, you very you. much I, I, i'm glad i was able to offer that but it's <laughs> for me i i'm the guy where my friends will often approach me and and ask me these life-changing questions of, mm. how can i be like you or how can i be happy and how can i yeah I, I tend to be rather simple in my uh approach to to living and not to say that i i don't have my absolute moments of what i call being in the pit i depression is no stranger to me whatsoever uh mm. which i think is <laughs> is also uh, intimately tied with being a creative talent mm. um there's just a, a part of that creative soul that tends to feel more. There's more, more of a um, an empathetic feeler out there, and then just an antenna that just sucks mm. things in. Um, that I seem to find with a lot of of my creative friends. But um, 
I don't even know what I was saying. See, it sucked me right in. But the uh, the idea of sport was, I said, well, how can I? I did do something. Something happened in my life. I, I made it this far. The the assassins have failed up to this point, and I wanted to find a way to to be able to convey. Well, this is what I how I approached it that worked for me. Your mileage may vary. Yada yada yada. Um, but I my life tends to be fairly simple i'm not a big social media guy as most people know i i, I don't real. i have social media but i i have what i call a social media aversion mm. that for me i found social media to be uh somewhat unhealthy and detrimental to my sense of self and that i always felt i was comparing myself to other people in a hilariously unrealistic way because everyone's living hashtag best life when they're attempting to portray this uh, persona and curate their own personal media, uh, social media Absolutely. presence of who they yeah. are, which may not exactly jive <laughs> with real life either. So, uh, and we're all comparing ourselves to to these simulacrums of 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 people. <laughs> um, so I I my social media is largely just, uh, hey, I did this thing, or I'll promote a book, or something. And even that mm. is haphazard i do need to be more consistent just i do love interacting with folks and fans so i always answer emails and, and dms and messages but um i just i'm pretty much a, a an introvert i say i'm a misanthropic desert hermit that i just stay away from the people and i stay in the desert in my crypt and pull the shades to not allow the sun so um yeah so that, that that's pretty much me but Eh, you know, yeah. I, I I just try to live a, a a kind and just life while having a bit of fun, telling yeah. stories and making funny voices in my underwear. Do you know, I don't think you could ask for a better one. I think that's a, <laughs> I think that's a pretty good way to be. <laughs> um, to be honest, um, I I must say I've I've thoroughly enjoyed this episode. I've loved talking. I've just realised I've been sat here giggling like a schoolgirl the entire episode. <laughs> <laughs> well that that means we've enjoyed ourselves that's, that's i've certainly enjoyed it you know, well while you and i may have but the you know our, the listeners are oh these two oh, <laughs> uh, if only they could see you know <laughs> what, so, what um, can you do we've just have time for one more question if that's okay um it's, it's been such a pleasure um talking to you um, to finish us off, is there any upcoming projects, anything approaching in the diary that you're excited about? Perhaps a project that we can uh, look forward to as listeners? Every single one. Let me pull up my calendar. This, <laughs> I always tell folks, I said, I never remember what I've just done or what's coming up. <laughs> I am a slave to my calendar, in fact. And part of it is because I, I dump everything into a project and you live it in the moment. And then when it's done, it's done until I need to revisit it. Yeah. Uh, I've <laughs> I've had fans and listeners say, oh, I loved this book with the thing, with the stuff on the other. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I struggle to remember what it was. And, and oh, and when you read the line with where as she's dangling from the balcony and you, uh, um, oh, yeah, 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 that was, that was super. You know, I'm just trying yeah, to yeah. remember uh, some of these things. I, I attribute it to my my advanced age <laughs> not quite but but um so i i just did 
um, a ton of t- um, books relating to uh, not to necessarily regionalize it, but the American prison system mm. uh, and some of the the two different takes on it. One was um, a book called Beyond Innocence, uh, which examined a man who was accused of murder, wrongfully so, and served the majority of his life in prison for oh. it and was exonerated later. And it follows the story, a true story. Mm. Deeply moving, um, very poignant look at some of the problems of the the American penal system uh, in particular. Um, and then there was another um, book that was um, that This Life, uh, which was writ- actually written by uh, a, a currently incarcerated man, uh, but it's fiction mm. and relays his experiences into fiction um uh, and it surrounds uh, sort of a culture of of hip-hop and music within the prison system and how um individuals relate to that that one was a lot of fun i also did um a wap bapalumop which was a history of little richard the performer which was a lot of fun i learned an awful lot about little richard that i i did not know um and i am wrapping up a series by one of my absolute favorite authors, and I've done a lot of her books by R.J. Scott, um, who, uh, it's, what were the, it was Summer Drifter and Winter Cowboy were the two of them. So good old, good old, um, I believe they're in Mon- set in Montana, Montana mm. cowboy love stories that are a lot of fun. Um if RJ's listening. Hi, RJ. Uh, and uh, I think coming up, oh, another heady, long uh, nonfiction book, Martin and Malcolm and America. Again, back to it seems everything's about America, um, which is uh, a title that's looking at the, basically the events leading up to and the events after the result of the civil rights movement here in America and the the fight for equality from various sides and how that has has played itself out yeah. um, here. So those those are a, a few that are coming up that I'm I'm looking at doing. But then I you know I look at the calendar and it's just every week is a new book. So I typically do four to five titles in a month. Yeah. Wow. And it's. It's quite a pace to keep up with yeah. as a narrator, and then to to supplement that with additional items of video games and commercials and, and the animation that I'm doing. Um, it keeps me very busy, so I'm very fortunate to be able to do this full time and to have so many bits of uh, the facets of the voiceover world that I can dive into and yeah. and, and enjoy. So uh, yeah, so that that's some of the items that are coming up that um, folks may may dig into the Sean Kristen fans um, that like some of those things. But yeah, it's uh, this has been an absolute blast. But see see what happens, John, when you you um, say, oh, well, I guess we'll get Sean Kristen and we'll have him talk. And we'll see what he does. It's like you basically just open the gate and I just pour everything <laughs> out. And uh, you say, okay, well, all right, that's the end of that. And we're done. So... 
honestly, you are the perfect guest. That is exactly what we need on on podcast. It would be uh, it would be very difficult if you. Uh, if you yep, that was it. <laughs> so um, <laughs> no, I really appreciate, it. and those projects sound fantastic as well. Um, people should definitely uh, keep their eyes and ears uh, peeled for those. Um, so I think that just about does it for this episode of the Audiobook Club. All of the relevant links to social media accounts and websites and such um, will all be linked in the description below. Um, thank you very much to the listener for making us a part of your day. And another huge, huge, huge thank you to Sean for joining us. Thank you, Sean. Absolutely. My my pleasure. What? You want me to talk about myself? Okie dokie. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Audiobook Club. This episode was sponsored by Pro Audio Voices. If you have a story you want to bring to life, head over to ProAudioVoices.com to get in touch with industry professionals that can take care of every step of production, as well as offer support and guidance with marketing, growing your brand, and boosting your sales. Once again, that's ProAudioVoices.com. Thanks for listening. 